welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Hope you've had a great week. Uh, we've got a couple of interviews for you today. A little bit later on, we're going to be hearing from Mike Shabel, who's the president and chief executive of Kiswi Mobile, uh, a provider of streaming services to partners, including the NBA. Uh, he spoke to our very own Stephen Impey a few weeks back, uh, and we will get onto that in part two. Uh, here in part one, we're going to be looking across to Paris and talking to Brice Lefebvre, who is the Adidas GM for the French capital. Uh, Paris, of course, is looking to consolidate its position as a major sporting centre over the next few years as it builds up to the 2024 Olympic Games. That's going to mean more major events. There's the Rugby World Cup to come in 2023, for example, and a little bit sooner than that, the NBA Paris game on Friday between the Charlotte Hornets and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, but it's also going to mean a commitment to attracting industry talent, to supporting new startups and embracing its potential as a hub for innovation. And it's going to mean connecting with everything that has made and continues to make Paris such a compelling place, uh, even through all the change and all the discord we're seeing in some quarters there just now. I spoke to Brice last week at Station F. Uh, it's the home of a number of startup accelerators, including Adidas' own platform A. Um, he discusses all of that and he delves into just what Adidas hyper-local, urban-centered approach means for the company, uh, what its goals are there, how this is helping it to streamline its operations and meet its strategic ambitions. Quick note before we start the interview to say that if you're interested in the changing world of sport and in Paris place within that, Sports Pro is a media partner of Global Sports Week, uh, the inaugural edition of which is taking place at the Carousel du Louvre from the 5th to the 7th of February. Uh, I'll be there. Uh, look across our channels and theirs uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about what to expect. In the meantime, here is Brice Lefebvre on Adidas in Paris. Brice Lefebvre, uh, GM for Paris at Adidas. Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Thank you. First up, what does the GM for Paris do? What's How does that uh, kind of devolved city model work um, for Adidas? Well, being a GM of Paris, you know, it's like a, a dream job, you know, you're responsible for the brand um, across uh, all channels of our marketplace. So uh, you're looking after the development of our own retail. Uh, we have uh, developed a lot of stores in Paris, brand flagship stores in Champs-Élysées, in key trade zones, uh, such as Opera, La Défense. Uh, we have a flagship store as well in Le Marais. So, uh, it was about like accelerating the development of our distribution through on retail, uh, but we are as well overlooking at uh, the wholesale business and the digital business. So Paris has been identified as one of the six global key cities in the world, along with London in Europe, New York and Los Angeles in the US, and uh, Tokyo and Shanghai in Asia. So mm. um, based on our the influence of the city, this growing influence, um, I think the reputation of Paris when it comes to fashion, uh, I don't need to develop too much about it. Uh, you know about that. Um, what is quite new is the development of sports. Uh, sport is um, uh, getting a lot of momentum. We've seen that since uh, 2018 with the 
second time uh, world uh, winners uh, football team with the 2019 World Cup game in, uh, in Paris as well um, and moving forward to the 2024 uh, Olympic Games mm. uh, five years down the line so it's coming soon and the city is going through a, a massive transformation uh, which is great uh, in terms of uh, infrastructure so uh, people are uh, asking for more opportunities to practice sport uh, football is big running is big so we want to capitalize on that and uh, yeah that's uh, how we take care of the brand so we want to make sure that we offer the best of um, the brand in Paris uh, through our uh, distribution. So on retail and wholesale, we want to deliver the best brand experience in our stores, but as well when we activate the brand. Uh, and we develop as well our communities. Um, mm. We we came up with the idea of um, running communities back in 2015. We developed Adidas Runners, a concept that was um, born and raised in, in, in Paris. Um, uh, with... Um, the connection uh, people have with the district where they live. So obviously they're very proud to be Parisian, but they are even more proud to be uh, from Bastille or from République or from uh, uh, Le Marais, Sentier, Champs-Élysées. And they run together, they develop um, their their skills. Uh, some of um, the members are uh, never run before, so they discover running for the first time. Some, uh, some want to... Uh, um, test themselves on races and with Adidas runners they can find uh, um, all of this training so mm. uh, we're very happy to, to support that the practice of sports we do have Tango League as well which is a football community team uh, we have a nice tournament in uh, key areas of Paris uh, getting great momentum and, and, and we believe that uh, Parisian uh, will practice more and more sport in the future mm. um, so we want to embrace that and one element I would like to, to highlight is uh, the importance of um, helping women to access sports and, and, and practice sports uh, um, we, we've been observing uh, unfortunately uh, a decline in, uh, in, um, in women's practicing sports uh, after a certain age usually uh, when they're teenager uh, for different reasons you know sometimes it's a social reason can be economic reason can be like just simply they don't they don't have uh, sport facilities that are adapted to uh, to the way they want to practice sports so uh, we developed a program breaking barriers uh, in Paris in 2019 with associations that are dedicated to the development of um, sport uh, for women and mm -hmm. uh, in football, in uh, in boxing, in in skating, uh, and this is really tangible examples of uh, how we uh, we use uh, the opportunity of being a global key city within Adidas, you know, to yeah. to accelerate as well um, with uh, the practice of sports. Yeah. Now, this model of having key cities and and um, targeting cities on a, a, a really kind of hyper local level you're not the only sportswear brand to do it in in some way shape or form um but what was it that inspired adidas to take this approach and also what is it that's enabled adidas to take this approach you know a big global company um being able to to bring its marketing and its activities down to the city level i think one aspect of it is uh simply um the mega trends uh, urbanization uh, that is obvious you know everywhere in the world that uh, more, more and more people are moving into cities so um, cities are growing in terms of population and there is uh, clearly uh, the importance of treating them uh, differently than uh, a market you know um, Paris is different than the rest of France uh, London is different than the rest of UK uh, a New Yorker has nothing I mean, 
not much in common than um, the way uh, someone lives in LA. So uh, just because some time of season, because of like aspiration with sports. So it, it, it's just a statement that uh, we want to look at cities uh, in a very specific way. Uh, like you rightly men uh, mentioned, we are developing hyper-local um, way of connecting with uh, our uh, citizens in, in Paris can be through the development of dedicated product, through exclusive uh, distribution in, in Paris, through the development of these communities at the Astronauts of Tango League, um, and as well as the celebration of our diversity. Um, uh, city like Paris, you know, is a city of creation. There is tons of like young entrepreneurs, tons of like artists, tons of young as well talent. Uh, if you just look at football, I think um, Paris and, and the suburbs, you know, uh, are an incredible cradle of football talent. Uh, most of this um, successful team uh, either like in the best tournament, like in um, the Premier League in, in the UK or in our own tournament in France, are coming from uh, Paris, you know, uh, as a region, you know, Ile-de-France. Mm -hmm. So it's it's super important as well that we understand these dynamics, you know, like to to leverage and and, and optimize. Uh, uh, what we can get out of um, Paris, you know, mm. as a city. And, and the same apply as well for the cities in the world uh, like London. So our mission is like um, twofold. One is making sure, you know, that we accelerate and over-accelerate, you know, versus um, um, France. In Paris specifically, um, uh, when it comes to numbers like uh, our top line, our brand market share, our brand desire, you know, is monitored very carefully. Um, and to do that, you know, like we need to connect with our local ecosystem um, station, if you know, is a perfect platform as well to use the creation and the creativity in Paris, you know, and to uh, to benefit from it with the incubation and acceleration of startups, you mm -hmm. know, um, that uh, join our program. Um, and the second one as well is um, I have a responsibility to... Um, uh, to help my colleagues uh, who do not have the insights and do not have the opportunity and the chance to, to be in Paris on a regular basis, you know, like to make them understand like uh, what's going on, you know, what is needed. So I need to help them to be more consumer centric, to be more consumer obsessed, to, uh, don't want to say educate, you know, but it's part of like an education yeah. uh, as well, responsibility to uh, explain what is important, you know, our engagement around sustainability is is a given now, but it's something that we need to, to show as well internally how this uh, can be um, uh, even taken to the next level in terms of acceleration priorities. Because uh, we, we cannot do everything, you know, but um, we, we help the brand, you know, to, uh, to take direction, you know, based on what consumers are telling us, you know, they expect us to do. So um, I'm, I'm kind of a change agent in the organization, uh, if I can say so. Yeah. Um, operating at that level, you know, Nike is very active in Paris, just yes. to... To, to name the name that I wasn't going to name in the last question, um, they work with Paris Saint Germain through uh, through the Jordan brand, and they you know they'll be making a big noise uh, next week as we're speaking. That this week as this podcast comes out for the for the uh, NBA Paris game. How does uh, how does competition element operate at the city level? How do you uh, how do you distinguish yourselves? How do you kind of how do you take ownership of parts of the culture around here? What what's the approach that you take to that? You're absolutely right. Um, 
cities uh, like Paris are extremely competitive. Uh, so we are not only competing against uh, our direct competitors, uh, but we compete with uh, everyone, you know, like um, all brands corporation now uh, in our industry and outside of our industry, you know, are, are competing in these cities. So um, the game is extremely um, challenging and we need to accept the rules that um, it's um, consistent and coherent um, approach that is needed, you know, to uh, focus on the right things, on the right um, um, categories of sports, the right positionings, the right as well stories and territories we, we want to move on and, and be seen as the most relevant brand. Um, Women's Empowerment, um, you've seen the collection uh, that we're going to drop uh, next week with Beyonce's. Um, what you've seen as well with um, the um, Adidas Runners communities in, in Paris, you know, um, when you live in Paris, you can practice a sport that easily uh, compared to other cities in the world. You know, we don't have much spaces to do so. Mm. Running is kind of uh, the perfect way, you know, like to offer that uh, when you don't have much time and uh, to commute uh, to a football stadium or to to woods. Uh, uh, we make it available for you, like down your building or mm. uh, in the, in the next street. Um, and, and playing football as well uh, and understanding that football in Paris is not only uh, uh, 11 game sports, you know, like there is a lot of uh, five-a-side uh, playground and, and, and we want to make sure that we facilitate and um, practice those football, you know, in these areas by understanding, you know, what consumer needs, you know, to play that sport, how does it practice, you know. So it's... Um, it's a day-to-day challenge, but it's a day-to-day opportunity as well, like to uh, to offer the best of Adidas in the most hyper-local ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the competition is not only uh, who can be the loudest, you know, and who can have like the best portfolio of assets, you know, as like as well understanding just like what people, you know, want to see from us, you know, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm repeating myself, but this is what consumer obsession and consumer centricity is about, you know, is. Um, the world is changing, you know, we like it or not, you know, um, we have to become more sustainable. We have to understand the challenges that uh, people are um, in every day. And, and it's our responsibility, you know, to pick up our battle. In Paris, we pick up that battle, you know, like sustainability is uh, at the forefront of everything we want to do moving forward. Uh, and we want to influence as much externally as we need to influence internally in order to accelerate in this industry. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the operation that you're running here? What what kind of uh, team? What kind of resources do you have to do, to do your job? Um, so we do have a dedicated team uh, in Paris taking care of uh, the brand uh, activation and strategic partnership, and we have as well uh, uh, a team dedicated to uh, our distribution, our marketplace development. When I, when I say marketplace, I'm looking at all channels, so it can be uh, our own channels, so it can be a wholesale or digital platforms, um, and we have as well like uh, a team in charge of monitoring um, uh, how we perform. So we have. Um, dedicated people plus as well cross-functional teams so um, we leverage everyone who is in Paris because they do have as well a responsibility to make this project successful. Kissidy is not a choice you know Kissidy is like a monetary um, direction the brand has taken with six cities in the world being nominated and we want to win in the cities no matter what it takes so um, everyone is engaged uh, in France as well to make to make Paris successful so we all um, are um, connected and, and joining forces, you know, to do so. Mm. And you're a Parisian yourself, which is 
one qualification for the job, but what? It was not mandatory, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the lucky guy who was born and raised in Paris, so yeah. Um, but what was your what was your background coming into this job? What's your history? Well, I've been with the brand for uh, now uh, almost 11 years, um, and I spent uh, eight years of my life in, in Germany, so uh, I had the chance to uh, join Adidas uh, in, in finance first for two years in, in corporate strategy and moving to brand strategy uh, afterwards. And uh, in 2016, uh, with the development of this uh, KCT project and the deployment of teams, uh, uh, I had the chance to join this local organization. And um, I'm officially the GM of Paris since uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we, um, we, we're very, very excited about um, what Paris has to offer, um, and how as well the group is, um, how the group is trusting us, you know, like, um, because what we need um, never to forget is, uh, it's a question of like resources, you know, it's a question of, you, you, you can't do everything, you, know, you have to make choices, and we understand like the group made choices, and the group said, we want to invest in Paris. So we have a responsibility of uh, results, you know, we, we need and we are, um, I would say, um, engaged to be successful, you know, by the end of 2020, like, um, to grow our brand desire, uh, to grow our top line and, 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 and be efficient at the same time, uh, bottom line, uh, to make our group successful. So, um, there is, um, being successful in Paris is expensive. Uh, it's like in London. <laughs> so, um, we, we want to make sure, you know, it, it's paying off big time. After yes. That. And you've had that time away um from paris both as you know your home city and also a place that that you've uh, a place to work out of how's it changed in that time what what impression did you have coming back um of how the city had changed it's it's incredible how a city um can change um very quickly very fast um i've been living abroad for about uh 10 years of my life i had the chance to uh to live um uh, in South Africa and Morocco, in, in Germany for a long time, uh, as well in the U.S. for a year, and and I've been as well always connected with big cities through my family and friends. Uh, um, but living there, you know, again is is different. Um, the city is so much transforming. Uh, um, not only because we we host in 2024 the Olympic Games, but like there is as well a change in the way. Uh, People are looking at uh, um, commuting. You know, we are using less cars. We bike more. We practice more sports. It's a cliche, but there is less people smoking cigarettes. Uh, so they're really taking care, you know, of uh, their their body, their health. Um, and there is um, a transformation that is not only visible through the, the habits and uh, the way of living of Parisians, but there is a transformation as well uh, of the city. Uh, um, there is more and more pedestrian streets, there is more and more bike lanes. Um, uh, we can see like there is an incredible journey that the city is on to uh, to make this city more livable, you know, mm. uh, to reduce pollution, to reduce as well um, um, noises and, 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 and make Paris, you know, like a really smart city. Mm. A city that is um, great to visit for because we have uh, the chance to be the second one in the world in terms of international visitors. Uh, uh, France is the number one country mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to uh, 
to tourism and, and Paris is the second one. So um, we want people to continue to visit our city. We want people to uh, to enjoy the time they spent and, and see Paris the way they want and, and not be confronted with uh, uh, frictions like, like pollution so, yeah. or traffic, you know. So uh, it's a journey, you know, now it can be <laughs> a bit chaotic um, because nothing is perfect, but uh, we're excited about what's to come. Yeah. And from your perspective, what, what doesn't change about Paris or what is kind of... Uh, central, intrinsic to the character of Paris as a city? I think the um, creativity and energy um, that is driving Paris. Paris has always been very attractive to creators, uh, people who do um, uh, have a connection not only with art, music and fashion, but as well creation from any kind. Um, and you know, it's funny, you know, because Station F, I think, embraced perfectly that, you know, uh, people want to explore Paris, people want, uh, they want to bring their bricks to the development of the city uh, one way or the other. Um, and I'm excited about that because uh, uh, we see now creativity from so many different angles uh, being facilita- facilita- facilitated sorry, by um, companies or structure like St- uh, Station F, but um, uh, as well as the development of foundations or uh, museums, you know, access to art. Uh, so I like that. I think we will, it's our DNA. We will always be uh, um, a lot driven by culture, by art, by creation in general. And uh, I think it will never go away. Mm. Um, you talked a bit earlier, obviously, there's, the city is building towards the, the Olympics in 2024, and there have been other signposts on the way with. Um, World Cup last year and uh, Rugby World Cup in 2023. How does Adidas map that journey and, and how does it also react to some of the change that you've you've been talking about within the city? How does it stay kind of responsive? I think we, uh, we're super excited, first of all, to be able to host uh, Olympic Games. I had the chance to uh, attending 2012 uh, the Olympic Games in London I was fascinated you know I was already with Adidas you know and I've seen how uh, a city is celebrating sports you know to the full extent uh, um, it's one of my best memories one of my best sports memories and uh, I'm so excited to be able to uh, replicate that in, in Paris in, in few years so um, it's uh, it's going to be a massive momentum. Uh, we're excited about Tokyo. It's in a few months' time. Uh, I look forward to it, um, but I have to say like, I look even more forward to the Paris Olympic Games, uh, and especially because the the direction you know that uh, they take is exactly resonating with us. You know, they want to make the most sustainable Olympic Games ever organized, and uh, we want to be the most sustainable sports brand. So it's uh, it's a perfect fit, you know, and um, it's going to be a great time. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you so much. Enjoying this Sports Pro podcast? Well, we're also the sports industry leader in print, digital, and events. Head to sportspromedia.com for the latest features, news, and interviews from the business of sport. Help yourself to a subscription to our acclaimed magazine and find out about our unmissable conferences before anyone else. Get inside the industry with Sports Pro. Welcome back to the Sports Pro Podcast. Thanks again to Brice Lefebvre of Adidas for his thoughts there in part one. A couple of quick notes before we continue. Reminder, first of all, of our upcoming events. Uh, Sports Pro OTT Summit USA, that's going to be taking the digital broadcast conversation to Atlanta on the 19th and 20th of February. Uh, Head to sportspro-ottusa.com if you're interested in joining us at Turner Studios. Uh, We've got a very high-class agenda now coming together. 
um, and you can check that out. It includes appearances from the likes of CBS Sports Digital, ESPN Plus, Matchroom Boxing, The Zone, uh, the NBA, NFL, and TikTok. Should be well worth the trip. Uh, we're back in Singapore as well for Sports Pro OTT Asia on the 26th and 27th of March, uh, shaping the future of sports media at the Marriott Tang Plaza Hotel. Head to sportspro-ottasia.com for more on that. And then comes the flagship. Sports Pro Live is back in London. It's where technology meets the sports business. And we're going to be looking at data, smart venues and cities, sustainability, broadcast and digital transformation from the 27th to the 29th of April. Uh, sportsprolive.com is your resource for news and updates there. Okay, on with this week's pod. Uh, Kiswi Mobile has supplied cloud-based streaming solutions to some of the biggest names in the sports industry, including the likes of the NBA here in Europe, as mentioned, for the Paris game this week, uh, and Turner Sports, Eleven Sports, CrossFit and Univision. Uh, its president and chief executive, Mike Shable, met with SportsPro senior reporter Stephen Impey a few weeks ago uh, to talk about creating mobile and digital viewing experiences leaning into social and understanding how audience tastes are changing. I'll pass you on to the two of them in just a moment. Uh, A note, first of all, to say that if you are enjoying the Sports Pro podcast, do be sure to subscribe, to share and like our content on social, or join in using the hashtag SportsProPod, and if you're so inclined, to leave us a nice review. I will be back with you next week, and we'll leave you for now with Mike Shable and Stephen Impey. Um, I wanted to start um, by asking you a little bit about the the viewer experience. Um, I understand that you build mobile platforms for watching sports that gives users control of that experience. Um, can you explain more about what that entails and how it fits into the, this phase of personalised content delivery that we're all discussing at the moment? So to talk about personalization, we must first talk about the audience. The audience that we're really zoomed in on is the digital focused audience. They grew up with devices that were digital and that's how they consume. And everything, let's take a mobile phone. It's a great example of of, uh, a platform that everybody's using today universally, but especially the digital first audience. Everything on that phone is personalized, except for video. Everything on that phone is interactive and requires me to touch it, except for video. And everything on that phone is really designed around social, except for video. And what we find is that the video industry is still really working hard to make great content for a TV-like experience. And they're kind of treating the mobile and the digital platform as still somewhat like a TV. What we're trying to do is say, how can we help the, the folks with great content, the media industry, uh, the creators, the networks, the broadcasters, the distributors, all who aim to attra- attract that digital audience, how do we help them transform their content so it becomes personalized? becomes interactive, and becomes social. And when we do that, actually, it's really great. The engagement is fantastic. Is that something that you're seeing fans demanding more of these days, or is that just sort of tailored or aligned with the, the change in technology and the opportunities that presents? 
Well, I, I think what we've done is we've, we've actually taken a bunch of things away from the user experience, and I'll just equate it to what, how we watch TV. When we watch TV, we watch it in a room with a couch, and we watch it together. When we watch on a mobile phone, you have to watch it alone. So by going to this new, brand new technology, we took social away. We used to be able to interact with each other. We take that interaction away. So we've lost actually the, the elements of, of engagement with each other when we actually move to a new technology. You would think it'd be something that would be enhanced, but in fact, actually they lost something. So while we get universal access and I can get anything on demand and I can watch, you know, and that's fantastic value, what I lose in that is the value of communal viewing or, or communal interaction. And, and that has always been really, really important in the fabric of how people consume content. With that gone, what you start to see is what everybody in the industry is faced with is that the engagement minutes for any particular brand, any particular piece of content is not as high on the digital platform with that digital audience as it was so and as what everybody was used to and in fact what the value chain was built on when they delivered it on TV. That's a big question in the, the, the current state of play, I suppose, around streaming and how you can engage fans on a, on a platform that is quite individual. It's, it gives viewers an opportunity to, to watch things remotely, um, but to sustain that social aspect, understand that by feeding in some of those um, feeds that you're able to elongate the, the time that people spend watching sport. How is that resonating with what you do and, and what you offer to your, to your partners? What, what we have found is, by and large, if you were to step back 50,000 foot level and canvas what is actually happening in the industry, um, I think, first of all, every single layer of the value chain is trying to go direct to consumer. So the sports leagues are going direct to consumer. The networks who buy media rights are going direct to consumer. The distributors are trying to go direct to consumer. So we have the same piece of content that is trying in many ways to get direct to consumer. In fact, we've flooded the customer with choice on how to reach that particular content. The platforms that are out there, if I may be a little bit controversial, I would argue is um, kind of a sea of sameness. Each one of these consumer platforms that are out there, they have an authentication front end, who are you? They have some sort of video game content selector, which is a menu of let me go choose what I want. And then it has a video. If you're lucky, it might actually have a widget which is gonna tell me an extra stat. And if you go player by player by player, TV everywhere, OTT app by OTT app by OTT app, I would argue that structurally they're all exactly the same and they're not interactive. They're not enabling a social. I would argue Twitch, is, Twitch actually hit the social, but by and large, most didn't. So you have everybody starting to realize that they need to bring the communal viewing back, but they're doing that on different platforms. What we've chosen to do is say, look, Watching together is really important. Interacting together is really important. Creating an opportunity for a, a great interaction from the audience back into the live broadcast is extraordinarily important. It happens in venues. By gosh, let's do that with our digital audience. But we're trying to bring that technology to the media companies rather than having them to take their content and put it on some sort of social platform that happens to have interactive capabilities uh, inherent to it. Because of course we're seeing leagues, including the NBA, which you, you have a partnership with, um, other leagues uh, and, and, and clubs are sort of going using social media as an opportunity to go direct to consumer and, and, and test the water in territories that might not have significant broadcast rights or might have large audience bases. Um, I suppose there is an opportunity 
that you may have touched on that you, you can bring that social aspect to your own product and, and you're able to, instead of going to the followership that other social platforms have, but bring them to your platform. How, how are you seeing that um, integrate new audiences into, into what you do? So, first of all, let's unpack a little bit what's happening with respect to when media is, when, when content companies are putting their content on social platforms, it's about audience development and marketing. It was, they're fantastic platforms. They've developed huge followership and they can go and test what works and what doesn't work in particular markets. And that's great. At the end of the day, what I find is that many of those same media companies are saying, look, we have to pay our bills. Okay. And if we're not getting the media rights deal and we're going to go direct to consumer, we need to make money. And, in, and them taking their content and putting it on social platforms in order to open up audience development doesn't necessarily generate audience dollars for them. Not in a way that is similar to what they're used to when they open up a new territory via media rights sales or, or equivalent merchandising. So they have a value chain problem to solve. And it's not necessarily being solved yet, maybe it will be, by going direct onto those social platforms. So they're saying, look, we want the attributes of social, we want the attributes of interaction, we want our audience to engage with us and with each other. We want to be able to touch them and touch them deeply with direct-to-consumer type um, added value. We want to own our consumer, but we don't necessarily want to offshoot that onto some other social platform for audience development. We want to bring that back in. So we're saying these are fantastic experiences. Let's integrate that back into their direct-to-consumer platforms so that way they don't have to have just a sea of sameness type player. They can have that, that authentication front end, the menu, the video player, and the interaction, and the social, and they can actually do that direct to with their own direct-to-consumer platform. And that's what we're trying to be, is a platform that allows any of them that wants to go do that, we're a platform that enables that today. We've seen um, sports properties move into OTT space, which in the past, I suppose, they haven't had a lot of experience in. Social media that they will have had experience in over the years, um, engaging with their own audience, but it must be a different beast trying to attract new audiences to a product. How, how, how much of a challenge is that? I don't envy them. It's really, really challenging. If you think classically what many of these sports, sports uh, leagues have done, they said, look, we are amazing at developing athletes, finding great coaches, creating great teams, and playing great tournaments and games. Right? That's what they're really, really fantastic at. Now, and by the way, we're going to sell those rights over to some other company who's really good at packaging that game into something that's audience friendly. And yet another layer is the distribution, which is I'm going to take that channel, whatever that network channel is, and now I'm going to distribute it as a package down to the consumers. And everything is changing right now in real time. So it's a big disruption. The leagues who are used to playing a game now have a responsibility for marketing their brand direct to consumer. Um, I would argue the teams are very good at direct-to-consumer marketing because they sell tickets, but generally the leagues have a new paradigm and, and, and a new challenge in order to, to, uh, to do direct-to-consumer development and marketing, and now technology, and now a distribution platform, and that is a huge burden. Um, not all of them are great at it. Some of them have really sort of hit the nail and, and they've, they've done a fantastic job at it, but it's a huge lift of competence that they have to go develop. And I think that's where you'll see over time the ownership of those platforms will shift internal to outside. Some build it, some go buy it. 
we'll see a lot of changing hands here, I think, over the next few years um, as to where people play in the value stream based on where their strengths are. Another area that you've um, uh, that you're working on or worked on is um, in the, around the introduction of alternative commentary to into your live matches, and um, that often includes um, sort of influencers and, 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 and big names that might not necessarily um, have firm links with sports and potentially pick them from different areas of, of industry in the wider value chain. Um, why is this significant for streaming, um, considering that we've seen this in broadcast already with, 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 with some leagues, but what, why do you think this resonates with streaming and, and engaging those audiences and, and potentially new audiences that might not be as uh, uh, dedicated as, um, as we've seen so far. So my first piece of advice to anybody who is trying to have a direct-to-consumer relationship is know your audience. Don't try to change your audience. Don't try to change who they are, but know your audience. And by the way, that audience is not, as might be reported, 55-year-old English-speaking male, right? That audience actually, that might be the median or that might be the average age, that might be the average viewer. But what you have is this beautiful diversity of audience segments that actually go and make up who is a football fan, who is a basketball fan, who is a, a rugby fan. You have young kids, older, older folks, you have betters, you have, you have people who love deep stats, you have potential future players, you have people who have loyalty to the game no matter what. You have female, you have, of course, male. Your demographic in your audience is huge. And what we find is that when you start to have a realistic look at who your demographic is and say, I'm not going to just serve the 55-year-old English-speaking male, but I'm going to go in and speak to each of these demographics, you take a different approach in how you tell the story. The story that resonates with my, my, my children is going to be very different of a storytell than one that might view with my dad, even though they might both be passionate about the same subject. So what's cool about digital, and in fact, well, when we start to rethink how we go make this content, which has been traditionally locked in by trucks and master control rooms, once we move that into the cloud, once we have digital hyperscale on our ability to create content, you now have the ability to go and tell unique stories to each one of those audience segments. Once you know your audience, and are willing to tell that story, then it opens up, well, of course I need to go use an influencer. Of course I need to go and bring in a lifestyle brand ambassador in order to talk about an, a, a basketball game because that kid's audience cares about shoes. They, they care about shoe drops and they're going and trading shoes on, on StockX as an example. So they wanna hear about that lifestyle in the context of, of the NBA game. This is our new blended lifestyle, and that's what's available in digital. So speak to it and go make, you know, frankly, increase your engagement as a result. And also, that, that must have some bearing on, on brand partners and, and how the leagues and the, the clubs are, are um, activating those, those partnerships. And we see this at games with celebrities and even players um, marketing new products and, and part of wider, uh, wider partnerships. Why is streaming gonna? How is streaming gonna potentially change that, or, or, or take take the brand direct to the consumer as well as the uh, as well as the sports property? So I, I, it's a great question because I think of three anchors in the world. Everything seems to be changing in the in the streaming world and video presentation world, but there are three really important anchors. One is the game, one is the fan, and one is the sponsor. And those three anchors, I think, will remain really important 
because that's how the money flows, right? Um, the money supports that whole industry uh, that between all of those parties. Now, how will the relationships change? I think classically in a TV-like presentation, the sponsor shows up in a 30-second commercial in between breaks on the content. They might show up on a logo on top of the uh, on top of players or on the jerseys of the athletes. They might show up as a lower third brought to you by blah blah blah. But when you start talking about the presentation of the content in a new way for audience development, I can actually have these sponsors be the casters and the talent. There's absolutely no reason why I can't take Rakuten or Chevrolet or whomever or Vodafone, and they could be one of the virtual uh, talent on that are talking about the game. You know, frankly, uh, I like watching uh, cycling and I like athletics. I would love to actually have Nike talk about their shoes while they're talking about the racing. I really have no idea what these Nike shoes are made of and why it enhances my performance. And I don't get that out of the 30 second commercial, but I'm a fan of athletics because I like to run. And I'm a fan of cycling because I like to ride. And I would actually love to hear that from Zips or from Nike or from Adidas or whatever and bring that into the context of the, of the events that we're watching. So these are, in fact, endemic opportunities uh, to bring them all the way into the events rather than just, just uh, on the outside, on the periphery, which is what it is today. We're seeing in, in um, individual events as well how streaming is, is um, enhancing viewership around athletics, especially with the Elliott's Kipchoge um, um, 159 um, effort earlier in the year. Um, th th these opportunities are out there, I suppose, is what, uh, what I'm saying. And, and um, especially if you've got multiple partners, whether they're broadcast or streaming right. over the top of that, it, it's going to allow you to have all, try new things and, and alternative avenues for, for brand exposure. So again, I think of those three anchors and it's, it's really, it's getting to the point where you don't have to think about making one thing for one audience. Um, I, I would, I would, I mean, as a fan to watch a 259 effort, uh, you know, my, my fast, or sorry, 259, 159 effort. That was insane. My, my fastest was 250 and I can't imagine going that fast, but man, if I could buy a pair of shoes, that would actually help me shave seconds off my marathon and go in a heartbeat. It's fantastic. Niche audiences actually um, in communities in particular, and this is where the personalization gets in. I actually not only want to watch it as an individual consumer, I want to watch it with a passionate fandom uh, community that is as passionate about it as I am, because I'm going to even, I'm going to elevate my, my viewing experience we can do more and get more minutes and get more engagement, higher value engagement. And in fact, I, I would argue not programmatic advertising, but very specific group targeted community-based advertising when we allow ourselves to stop thinking about build one, but build many. And I think now we're starting to have the technology in the industry. I mean, cloud is relatively new. The digital processing that's required to go and replace a truck is relatively new. So these new toolkits at broadcast quality are allowing us to make many things at once rather than one. And, and that's, a, you know, whether it's language, whether it's, whether it's community, whether, whatever the demographic is, it's an opportunity for us to, to gain higher engagement and, and, uh, and, and sponsor dollars, frankly. And um, one of the, the changes in the market at the moment is we're seeing, especially in the US, uh, broadcasters entering the OTT space and what they're doing around bundling content. And, and as you say, trying to, 
meet demands of different audiences and potentially cross-pollinate them across a, a bundle of product. Um, I understand um, that Kissway Mobile has had feedback from broadcasters as well that they would like to see the work that you're doing digitally um, reverted back to the broadcast output as well. I mean, I just wonder if you can explain how that works and why that's significant considering um, what we're seeing on a macro scale mm -hmm. uh, around the stream. So there's, um, there's maybe two, two points on that. Number one is a kind of a, a, a financial efficiency, which is if digital, look, the truck is extremely good. It's been you know, used for many, many years and very highly developed. So it is an awesome machine. And I would not believe at this point in time that digital is going to replace the quality of the truck. It can augment, it can complement, it can sort of do, do extra things, uh, but the truck is very good. That said, there are lots of products out there that don't need a full truck, but they do want to make it to TV and it's valuable to be on TV. And so this is a, a, an alternative lower cost solution to allow us to go produce broadcast quality content and do over the air. I'll give you one, one very specific example of what, what just as a consumer drives me crazy. Esports is a digital game. Right? They're played on computers. It's typically consumed on digital platforms, but also in TV. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, when we have a tournament, we pull up a master master control room and a truck. Right. Isn't that odd? We have, a, we have a digital game for a digital audience and we pull the truck. I think this is, these are just examples where we can start to say, how is it that we can um, unpack our dependency, not, not, not unpack, we can remove our dependency on strict truck-like architecture. Same people need to work. So these workforces are really, really important. We can just do more with them because they're now virtual and get more content out there. It's not about less content, it's about more but more efficiency and more, more uh, cost efficiency in the PL. Uh, finally, I wanted to ask you a question on, on uh, how much the user is influencing their own experience and what broadcasters and OTT platforms um, react to um, versus to the influence of new technology. Um, it says that users are um, demanding more digital content and it's only going to rise with these younger gener generations uh, um, engaging sport via a tablet or a mobile device. Um, but like with the, the invention of the smartphone, the internet, um, also with the 5G coming in, um, does this dictate what viewers expect from watching sport as much as the, the, the changes in um, technology are becoming more expected, I suppose. I suppose there, there, there is there's demand from the user, but how much do you feel technology is driving that demand? So these chicken and egg questions are sort of always very difficult um, to, to answer because sometimes the technology is a field of dreams, you know, build it and they will come. Um, sometimes it is the consumer demanding a new experience that is like what they already know. And I think what we see in the video industry is a bit of both. In the video industry, or in the mobile industry with that younger audience, as I said a little bit earlier, um, think, think of um, the fans for esports. It's a great example. So um, my older son loves to play the various Battle Royale games because he does so as a squad. He does it with his four, you know, his three other friends. They're on their headset together and they are laughing all the time. They are having so much fun. They didn't even care where they, how they participate. 
those same kids then will go off alone to watch um, something on, on YouTube like a tournament. So when they play, they play together. When they consume, they have to consume alone. Well, that's not fun. So they would love to go consume together. And I think what you're starting to see is there is a, an existing consumer behavior and they're trying to pull that over to digital. Another example is this integration of, 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 of uh, betting, for example, with, with live video content. The behavior exists. The audience segment is saying, why is it I have to go to a, a parlor in order to bet? Why can't I actually have on my mobile device the ability to stream this content, watch it at the same time, and place my bet either with my friends who send up somewhere or, or against the house? These behaviors actually are, are sort of being transposed onto video, and I think the expectation is that the video industry steps up in order to meet the demand. And the technology, though, on the flip side, we didn't have mobile phones, we didn't have cloud, we didn't have 5G, 4G, and we didn't have 5G as we started talking about these migrations. And so we here what we, we're starting to see is that the network is finally able to, to support the demand with that video. So now you see it approaching from two different sides. Now, the, the, the clincher in all of this is how fast will the media industry move to take advantage of the demand and of the technology. Um, personally, it has gone slower than I estimated. I mean, it honestly has not gone that fast. I mean, and, I, and again, I come back to look at what the players look like today, what the OTT platforms look like today. They kind of look like a TV. And I, I think even though they've made great steps to put that content on digital, they haven't taken the full set of steps using the technology that's available, nor necessarily satisfying the demand, partially because that's not their, their forte. A lot of these companies play games, right? They, they manage teams, they manage athletes, and they're not necessarily doing the technology. So there's that piece. But, but also I think there's another piece, and it's the, it's the money piece, and it's really important. They need to be convinced that the net dollar earned per eyeball cons eyeball watching their content on digital is the same as what they would get on TV. In their heart of hearts, I think the media industry is recognizing that they're going to go and start leveraging, or they'll, they'll start leveraging the technology and, the, and meet the consumer demand when they know that a dollar earned with a digital eyeball is the same as a dollar earned with the TV that they produce too. And I think right now, most of their money comes from the TV industry and, and they're very used to that business model. And we have uh, not enough compelling uh, proof points that show that they can go and monetize that digital audience in a real way. So we've got to go figure out the digital demand. We've got to go figure out the technology and we have to figure out the business model in order to go make sure we make money on that younger audience. And I think once we do that, it'll be we're we're not going to be talking about you know s subscriber losses on on cable packages anymore. We're going to be embracing subscriber ads on digital because everybody's PNL will look a, a heck of a lot sharper. But we've got work to do, and um, and we're gonna we're gonna do our very best to help. Sounds exciting. Thank you, Todd. Absolutely.